Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Read with Michelle Martin on Your Money. Only on Money FM 89.3. Shining the spotlight on one of those books that could save your life if you live with suicidal thoughts. I've never read anything like this. What an intimate exchange. At times, really chilling. But when I think of the millions of people living with mental illness, I learned from this book that globally 800,000 people kill themselves every year. I think that many of you may spend a lot of time feeling very lonely. And you may feel that you're struggling too with depression that has stripped all the color from your world. And, and chances are you... Your brain might make you believe you're the only person who's ever felt that way. Well, this book takes away that notion. It reminds you you're not alone and it provides with great intimacy and honesty an account of how someone perhaps just like you, has forged a path forward to embrace life. Author Mahita Vass has battled suicidal thoughts all her life. She even lost one of those battles and tried to kill herself. She's a survivor. She's going to tell us more about that episode. Her book is titled A Good Day to Die, and it offers us readers an intimate exploration of an anguished mind. Mahita, I've never read anything like this. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle. This can't have been an easy book to write. Uh, it seems that mental, or was it? What was the experience it, writing it for you? It was very difficult. It was very difficult because when writing a book like that, I realized as just as I started to write it, how much I owed the readers um, honesty. Mm. Because I felt if I could not be honest, if I could not be upfront about my experiences, then I should not be writing this book. So then to have made that decision to be honest, it was very difficult to bring up very intimate feelings and to share it. I still don't know why I wrote it, but I did. I mean, I know why I wrote it, but I'm still amazed that I did write it because it was so hard. I can imagine. I mean, it was hard to read, you know. Yeah. At the same time, I marveled at your ability to bear your soul to us. We're strangers. We're readers. I mean, we're not strangers. I met you last time at Aunt House <laughs> and we both high-fived <laughs> because you had a book deal that we were celebrating back then. But even I, I was astounded to... to I, I guess I always imagined that, you know, after your bipolar diagnosis in 2005, that everything was A-OK. You know, and it was shocking in this book to read that during COVID, um, the, these thoughts... You, you were yes. still struggling with these thoughts of taking your I life. Was. I was, but I also looked around me and a lot of normal people, I mean, people who are not diagnosed with any mental issues mm. were also struggling. Yes. So then I just felt that, well, no wonder I'm struggling. If everybody else is struggling, what about me? Mm. And it it really was difficult, but it was the whole Hawker Centre experience, which is, I, I didn't realise how much the Hawker Centre experience actually was such a huge part of my life until it was taken away from me. That is so interesting then, how much it meant to you. Can you share a yeah. little more there? Yeah, because I have for decades, uh, you know, I've been to the Hawker Centre at least three to five times a week for lunch, mm-hmm. uh, even though I've always had very good food at home. But it's just because I like Hawker food and I just like the whole experience, the whole being out there. I have, I'm, I'm friends with some hawkers. It's just, to me, something that was a part of my everyday life, mm-hmm. even though not not literally every single day, but, you know, within a week, there was a lot of it. And then when suddenly it, they closed and we couldn't go to the hawker centre or we had to tap out the food and bring it home and it just didn't taste the same, it really affected me. And I was so surprised because I thought, am I making a mountain out of a molehill? Am I overreacting? Am I being dramatic? And I thought, but I'm not. This is my life. 
I don't think I am. It's just this is how it affected me. Yeah, and you know? small pleasures, they may feel like small pleasures, but when they're taken yes. away, it's like yes. part of the fabric of your life has been ripped. And all of us were dealing with, with the world changing. Yes, Incredibly. Yeah, all of us, yes. Yes. So for me, it was just, it came as a surprise, but then it's, I realized it's something I had to deal with. Mm-hmm. Now, you, you started by saying, you know, I'm quite sure why you wrote this story. Um, and yet it seems, you know, the perfect timing for a book like this because so many people are suffering. So many are alone. So many are, you know, having difficulty coping. You can see it, right, in the headlines. Yes. yes. Uh, and when did you start writing this and why did you want to share this story now? Now, because, um, you know, I, as a mental health advocate, I give a lot of talks uh, at the IMH, at the Institute of Mental Health, Mm -hmm. and I get students asking me, and even the the teachers asking me about writing a book on suicide, because my first book was about mental illness. The focus was on mental illness, uh, all the signs that pointed to it, how I was eventually diagnosed decades, 20 years later. Uh, But suicide was a very small part of it. This time, I decided, I just decided when I saw it, I think the Samaritans of Singapore actually, it was the, the statistics that was just appearing on my news feed. And it just shook me that there was, uh, it said 10 to 19, uh, the numbers for uh, youth aged 10 to 19 who killed themselves. And it, the number 10, that age, struck me so hard. So I started to read about it. It was actually an 11-year-old kid. But I guess 10 was the band for the age group. And I thought, you know, I'm going to write about it because I was feeling suicidal all that time anyway. And I thought, I'm going to write about this. And it was very hard because I didn't even know where to begin. I can imagine. Um, so the, so the stats said 10 to 19. I mean, did you fall within those stats? How early back in your life do you remember first battling uh, suicidal thoughts? I think probably 18, 17, 18. Okay. You know? Um, so that's why I just thought, wow, and people struggling with it. And so I thought, I'm just going to write it. I don't know how I'm going to write it. I don't know what I'm going to say, but I'm just going to write it. I thought it was interesting in this book that you say, while you had thoughts of suicide all your life, it really was only after you were diagnosed with type 1 bipolar disorder back in 2005 that you started to question why you wanted to die. You knew you had these thoughts. Yeah. But you only start questioning after the the diagnosis. Oddly enough, did this diagnosis help you become more self-aware? Yes, that's exactly 100% it. That's exactly what happened, yes. You're right. Mm, That's it. And and, and then does it help you in your battle against suicide? Not quite, because an actual episode where you do lose that battle happens after 2005, right? Correct. Correct, yes. Can you tell us about the circumstances? I don't know. I don't even remember. Sometimes it's just the little things, you know. I can't remember what the circumstances are, but I just eventually just gave up. I just thought, I I really don't want to live. I'm done. I'm so done. And I had these great kids, my husband, friends. I had so much to live for. And even then, I just thought, I am done. And I was done. At that point, I really was done. You know, so that's why I did what I did. But, you know, someone else. I don't know, serendipity, whatever, cut off my plans. Yeah, because for the outsider looking in, Mahita has jobs. She's held jobs at O&M. She was a stewardess, beautiful, um, married a pilot, has twin daughters, has everything, right, that people yeah. aim for in their lives. And yet, uh, you, you, you talk about 
battling and being at the brink of despair. So in chapter four, you talk about waking up in hospital after realizing that plan to end your life has taken a different turn. Uh, what goes through your mind? Oh, at that time, I remember thinking, damn, what did I do wrong? That was the first thing I was that went through my mind. Um, because clearly, I, I, I miscalculated. Other times, because my husband said he was by my bedside and he said, I, I, I came home early and I found you. Mm. And he was not supposed to come home early. He's never come home that early from a flight. Never. So it wasn't relief. It was despair. It was despair. Yes. You know, because my plans were my plan. That's why they call it a failed suicide. Mm-hmm. So, but I was very upset that I had not died, but then I just decided, okay, you know, I'm going to live. And if I made that promise to my husband, I'm going to live, even if I want to die. But that is still a very difficult promise to keep. I think what's so interesting about this book is um, you act sort of as a translator for, you know, between two worlds almost. People with mental illness, may not understand normalcy and, and vice versa. Do you know what I mean? And, yes. and it's like a translation for us almost so that we get up close with, with an anguished mind and get to understand what the despair really is and what the reality of battling suicidal thoughts really, really is. So did you, I mean, most days do you see yourself as a survivor? No, I don't think about it. Most mm-hmm. days I just get on with life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What do you hope this book will give to people who are battling with suicidal ideation every day? I hope that for those battling with suicidal ideation, I hope they realize that, I hope they have the awareness to know that they don't have to die, that they can, you can't snap out of it, but they can be treated for it. Mm, that's I mean, it, whether it's drugs or through therapy, they can be treated. Um, and to just hang on because that's what I'm doing. I'm hanging on. You know, this this point about awareness and, and seeking help. Can someone who is idealizing suicide help themselves, Mahita? I don't know. I don't know because I'm I'm helping myself through mm. my... My doctor has also told me many times that I have a very heightened state of awareness, uh, which is not which is quite unusual. Mm -hmm. But helping yourself really requires uh, medical intervention. Mm. So you help yourself Mm -hmm. by picking up the phone or making that trip to the doctors. That's helping yourself. And then you allow the doctor to treat you. That, to me, is how you can save yourself from dying. What helped you most? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, please. Sorry, but it's just sometimes that is no help or sometimes we really just don't want the help and I'm afraid that they could come I don't want it to come ever but it could come that one day I just decide I I can't do this and no I don't want help no I don't want to see the doctor Mm -hmm. you know I just want to die that promise you made to your husband though it's held you in good stead um it has right it has definitely it has that you wouldn't do it again. Um, yes. and, and then we know that when people are in depression, sometimes getting off the couch is an enormous effort. And yes. uh, so, you know, getting up, going to the doctor, seeking help might seem out of the question for someone who's on the brink of despair. What helped you most through your own journey? My family and my friends, not either or, it's both mm. in very different ways. 
specifically my husband, my two daughters, and a few and a small circle of friends. Actually, I have a few circles, but they're all small. Mm-hmm. My friends mm-hmm. really helped me a lot. And your daughters are in their twenties now, right? Yeah. Your, your twin. Yeah, they are late. Um, I'm fi- almost thirty. They'll be thirty oh. in November. Oh wow! Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> growing up Big really girls. quickly. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you know, are, are they part of that support network? And um, I try not to suck them in, um, mm. but they. One lives in England anyway, but the one who lives here, she is. Yeah, she is very much a part of my support network. Can imagine. Do you think that? Uh, this book has helped you sort of interrogate how your own mental illness um, has impacted your relationship with the very notion of being alive. Yes, absolutely. Because I was forced to dig deeper where things were superficial for me or I tried to brush them off or I tried to ignore them. Um, I had to dig deeper and yeah, I realized how much a part I had to play in staying alive. And how how is COVID? Uh, you talked a little bit about how the closure of coffee shops has, you know, impacted you. How are you doing now? You know, we've been going through these waves, opening, reopening, two steps forward, two steps back. How are you feeling now? I am feeling much better because uh, every time there's a reopening, I see my friends. Oh, that's great. <laughs> you know, I take the <laughs> opportunity to see my friends. Or they come over or whatever, you know. And that's a bright spark, huh? Yes. Absolutely. Before we let you go, what do you want to say to readers about, you know, what you hope they get from this book? I I just hope they understand and not condemn people as weak for taking their lives. Or blame, or blame, uh, sorry, my phone ringing. Uh, or blame um, someone for for someone taking their lives. You know, I... The blame is what really gets me when I read about it. Okay. And, you know, you've written fiction and you've written nonfiction. And I wonder yes. just if you have your author hat on, uh, you know, when you write fiction, I, I, is it less difficult because you're not wading through so much personal much stuff? Much less. Much less difficult because it's actually quite easy because it's just imagination and creation. But fiction, nonfiction requires truth requires honesty and this is why for my reader I would like them to just understand what we go through and why honesty at the heart of this book Mahita we wish you all the best thank you so much for joining us thank you Michelle thank you so much Mahita Vas is the author of A Good Day to Die Inside a Suicidal Mind the book is now available at all good bookstores finally savvy on Money FM 89.3 To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.